0: Welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love history and making things and also making things that are historical and sometimes they are not. And we like to start the podcast by talking about what we have been making and or baking recently. So what have you been up to? I imagine not loads due to life events happening (laughs) um i love how
1: cryptic that was yeah i did finish i did finish the hexagon blanket yes um and i made a scarf for nick um because basically I, i was talking to someone about how of the 20 plus people that i've taught to knit a good three quarters have started out with a red scarf and we were talking about how that that seems to just be like the prototypical scarf in a lot of people's heads is red with tassels.
0: The um, original scarf.
1: My theory is that it's because that's the scarf that Beaker gives Michael Caine in Muppet's Christmas Carol. Oh. I have no I have no justification for this, but that's like the first thing that comes to mind when I think about scarves in media, I guess. Oh, I,
0: I actually
1: uh, love that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Nick was... Saying uh, that, that they used to have that kind of scarf and don't anymore. And it ended with buying two balls of red wool and making a scarf.
0: Trying to which create is, the scarf. Yeah, which
1: honestly was quite a nice break from the hexagons and the jumper. Because I'm still nice. working on my stripy jumper. How, how is that going? It's going surprisingly well. I decided because it's striped and it's uh, the colours change every twenty rows, I decided to find the learn Russian joins.
0: Oh that's where you like splice the ends together,
1: isn't it? Yeah, you like stitch it through the plies and then if you do it enough times it the friction sort of keeps it together. Brilliant. I, I So I've got know. really good at that
0: now. That seems like a good way to avoid having a billion ends to weave in.
1: Yeah, and it also means there's no like knots against your skin.
0: Ah, because I think
1: especially on a jumper, if you're wearing a t-shirt underneath, that's you're gonna feel that on your arm. Yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Other than mystery life event, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which I just realised I made that sound concerning. It's not. It's it's a good it's a good event. It just has a lot of admin. <laughs>
1: yeah and in the interests of making it less cryptic I mean, in in the process of obtaining a house.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know why I phrased it like that, but there you go. What have you been up to? Does make it sound a bit like you're just like, stealing one and running away. Um, <laughs> I um had my master's graduation yesterday. Congrats, um, thank you yes um it was good uh i have been quite under the weather recently um still not great but i was thankfully well enough to go yesterday um and i have this dress that i wanted to wear um which is a dark green cotton velvet um dress that is it's kind of witchy looking i really like it um, I got it from a second-hand stall in town last year, and it was just a bit too small. Like, you know, when you can technically get it on, but, like, it doesn't oh, yeah. really fit. <laughs> um, and I like, you know, being able to move in clothes. So I decided a few days ago that I really wanted to wear this for graduation, and I was gonna... it's a princess seam. Mm -hmm. dress that um kind of means that it's made in long panels rather than like having a waist seam so um I was able to alter it by just putting in um a couple of extra panels at the sides um the the top of it like fit okay so I didn't really have to mess around with any of the complicated like sleeve stuff or anything but um yeah sort adding in
1: some hip space
0: yeah i I've, I've basically just added some long triangles in the sides and it now fits just about um which is great um i i was i did finish it like the morning of um <laughs> <laughs> i found i have had this um stripy silver metallic fabric for years like the weft is silver metallic and the warp is cotton stripes um so it's like a vertical stripe um and I was like yes this will go really well with the dark green it'll look great um and also has the advantage of making the dress a bit swishier which was amazing but this fabric was extremely flimsy and um because the metallic doesn't have a lot of grip on the other um on the cotton it it frayed a lot <laughs> so i did use like a a backing fabric just like a normal cotton and then treated them as like one piece but it still frayed quite a bit so i need to work out some way of making sure it doesn't just disintegrate um and that meant that i was really nervous to use it with the machine so i ended up like hand stitching the whole thing which took longer um, That explains. Only finishing it the morning off. Yeah. Um, it's one of those great like almost the last minute projects Um when you're like, I've got enough time to do this, and then you realise it's actually more difficult than you expected. But it <laughs> looks great. Um I'll try and put up a picture. Um and it was yeah, it was a fun time. Um so that is that is done. Um and I have not had time for a lot else. I miss baking.
1: I also miss baking. I might bake this weekend.
0: Yeah. But
1: if I have time.
0: I'm hoping to as well. Just, just a classic bakeful slice or something. I was thinking chocolate cake. Mm. Okay. So, <laughs> but this what? is not
1: about chocolate cake
0: no <laughs> after our brief pause to, to think about chocolate cake um, <laughs> what what are we talking about today well
1: so after you're talking about sequins and then me getting a great ask on my personal tumblr about what sequins i think would exist in disc world
0: oh uh, that's
1: that good <laughs> one of my favorite book series of all
0: time metal is definitely the the answer i think oh yeah because it was specifically
1: about um cherry littlebottom and it's like she's gonna have some nods to her her dwarvish heritage in there yeah um but i thought i would look at a couple of other shinies spotty things that you put on on
0: clothing wearable shinies wearable shinies Excellent. So what other kinds of wearable shiny are there? So I'm not going to talk about beads because
1: there's a million different kinds of beads <laughs> and frankly several of them deserve their own episodes. Uh, um, so I'm going to talk about a couple of um, Indian embroidery techniques.
0: Shisha and beetle wings. I think I know that Shisha is the one that uses mirrors, like small mirrors. If you've uh, been
1: in any vaguely sort of hippie shop, you've probably seen Shisha embroidery. It's small, generally circular mirrors. And the first thing that I want to say about them, which I think is really cool, is there isn't a hole in those. They're held in place by... Just a network of tiny, tiny stitches all the way around the outside.
0: Oh wow! So you essentially like make a, a bro- embroidered setting for them, like a like a jeweler. Essentially,
1: yeah. Like if you look at images of shisha embroidery, it's often slightly raised around the edge of the mirror for that exact reason. Sweet. That makes sense,
0: um, I imagine it's quite hard to drill a mirror That's small. Yes,
1: especially because um, when Shisha sort of started out, which is probably 16th century, sorry, 17th century northern India, um, it was probably mica. Oh. Which, theoretically, you can drill a hole in, but it's a lot easier if you can just hold it on another way.
0: This is the picture that I am looking at now. is gorgeous. There are many colours and it is very shiny. So, um, one of the things I
1: read said that it was this sort of idea of attaching small shinies to fabric probably came to India through Iran during the Mughal Empire, which covered, uh, yeah, I think covered both. Although, interestingly, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that the rulers of that empire actually ever wore Shisha. Oh! So this is a embellishment of the people.
0: Like a, a folk
1: craft. Mm-hmm. I mean, most, most crafts are folk crafts if they're <laughs> that old. <laughs> oh. Um, so yeah, it starts off with uh, mica and then it moves on to uh, discs of tin or silver or even small
0: coins. Ah, going back to the coins as decoration. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it's still found in traditional embroidery all over India, uh, Afghanistan, and also out further east in uh, places like China and Indonesia which th- interestingly this is also the kind of area where beetle wing embroidery shows up
0: okay, so just using what you've got to make the wearable shinies mm-hmm. um, and it's
1: influenced by the ver- various cultures as well so in Islamic areas you get much more geometric designs because a lot of Islamic art is much more geometric. Um, In the Garari Jat community it's much more of a thing to have it mostly around the yoke of the dress with lots of bright colours. And in Gujarat it can show up sometimes as the eyes of an animal or the middle of a flower which I really love as a way Um. of sort of emphasizing those parts of the the sort of natural design
0: yeah that's cool
1: and yeah a lot of um sort of formal wear especially in Gujarat, does still have that mirrored design on it like you get a lot of saris that will have mirrors along the edges Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: when you wear it it sort of crosses your body and then along the bottom
0: ah i imagine that gives it like A bit of weight like a bit more swish as well
1: not that much actually because modern shisha is generally very thin machine cut glass with a silver backing and then once you get even more modern you get uh, plastic sometimes even with holes in at the edges to make it easier to attach Although it still has that traditional edging to it, so you can't really tell either way.
0: Yeah, I think I had a um, like rubbish Western um, clothes shop version when I was younger of like a skirt, and it was just like silvery plastic. Mm-hmm.
1: With where all of the silver comes off the first time you put it in the wash.
0: Yeah, it did not last very long.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then if we get into beetle-wing embroidery, uh, there's a school of thought that that evolved from Shisha, and then there's other people saying that it was its own thing already, especially because you get it um, as as, as far away from the Mughal Empire as Japan. Oh. So it's one of those things where it's like, no one really wrote down Ah, we've decided to start using beetles or we were already using beetles and then this mirror thing came along, so we don't really know for sure. Um, but the the first thing to say about beetle wing embroidery, I think, is that it's not actually the wings. It's not? It's the wing casings. Oh. Because the, the wings of insects are generally sort of translucent, white, incredibly fragile.
0: Oh yeah, I see. Like when the the beetle gets ready to fly, it sort of they lift up a bit.
1: Yeah, like um, people listening in the UK have probably seen a ladybird mm-hmm. lift off, where it kind of opens up the spotty bit, and then there's the actual wings underneath. Uh, yeah,
0: um, I get you. So that,
1: okay. that bit that opens up is the is an elytron. Oh, cool.
0: I didn't know it had a name.
1: Which sounds like some sort of cool machinery. <laughs> it sounds like a transformer. Yeah. But they are, I guess, kind of. <laughs> Transforming from standing bug to flying bug. <laughs> it's not a good transformer. It's like a Happy Meal transformer. <laughs> the main kinds of beetles used for this is the Buprestidae family which are wood-boring beetles. And, yeah, some of them are just kind of plain black, but a lot of them are these iridescent blues and greens. Unsurprisingly, there's some absolutely beautiful examples
0: in the v Oh, yeah. That does make sense. They have, like, everything. Whoa. The sometimes
1: used just in their natural shape. Um, As in the example of there's a dress in uh, the Highland Threads Museum that was worn by Barbara Morrison, who was a Highland woman living in India in the mid-19th century, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which has a combination of um, zardozi embroidery. So it's kind of a gold thread in all sorts of beautiful swirly patterns surrounded, surrounding these beetle wings. Uh, interesting, that one is apparently the only known example of beetle wing embroidery in the Highlands.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, hey. And that's
1: on white cotton, so it really pops as well.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. And I noticed these ones have holes in them. Yes, um so they sometimes have a hole just in
1: one end to attach it so it'll move around a little bit more. Or you can make a hole in the middle making it a sequin. Ah Yes. And you can put put them to shape very easily as well because they're relatively durable. But you can Yeah, you can still cut them with scissors. Oh. And a lot of extant examples actually have some that have shattered because they are quite fragile, so okay. you, w- you wouldn't generally have like a whole garment covered in these.
0: Oh. of a trim. Yeah, like the parts that would be under less duress, presumably.
1: Yeah, whereas with Shisha, you can find examples where it's on the, the main body of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get multiple instances in all of the places where beetle wing embroidery is found, where they're referred to as uh, jewel beetles or jewel insects. So this is this is clearly an, a th- a thing where it's like this kind of bug is for this craft. That's very poetic. I just. I don't I always enjoy when humans name animals just based on what we use them for. <laughs> um the best example of course is the edible dormouse. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky. <laughs> um so this also becomes very popular during the Mughal Empire especially the later part of it. Um and unlike Shisha, does show up in court garments. Ah. Um, there's a 19th century court dress from Jaipur, which is red with these beetle wings on. Oh, cool. And it's thought that the reason this became more of a trend in Britain, um, quite a long-lasting one as well, there's a department store in London was selling... A dress with beetle wings sewn on it in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's thought that because we're getting into the era of the British Raj, Mm -hmm. hence that Highland woman living in India, um, that this was one of the things that people brought back and went, I want this at home as well kind of at a similar time to when paisley patterns are becoming popular, and these did sometimes have these beetle-wing sequins around them as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, even
1: now you can find a lot of paisley things with sequins in Britain.
0: Yes. Yeah, because they got popular again in the 70s, didn't they? Yes. um, Part of a general kind of...
1: I don't know if it would be entirely accurate to call it kind of a neo-orientalist movement but I don't think it...
0: I yeah I know what you mean like the whole Beatles style like looking to the east kind of thing mm-hmm.
1: and the the general sort of new age movement as well mm-hmm. but yeah so you also have probably one of the most well-known, um items because it was a whole youtuber controversy i don't remember which youtuber now is uh lady curzon's peacock dress
0: i do know of that yes
1: do you know more about the controversy than i do because i don't remember most of it just that it was a, a big controversy that someone was trying to recreate it and then people were talking about how it's this Obviously, it's this big symbol of colonialism, so maybe don't recreate it.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, well, I I did um, know a bit more about it at the time, I think, because I was following the internet costuming stuff when this was happening. And yeah, I think it was a case of there was one particular um, prominent person in the field who had been sort of planning to recreate this for years and years and sort of hadn't but then in like a few years ago um was sort of reviving that project um but doing it a lot more sort of publicly um and there were yeah there were a lot of people who were like uh we'd rather you didn't because like it is an amazing dress but like It's also a massive symbol of colonialism or like is there any other way it could be done to be like you know more like telling the whole story Mm -hmm. um but it's also um like the it was also like basically impossible to recreate by one person because of the sheer scale of the embroidery yeah so this is a
1: court dress so it has a train Mm -hmm. that was owned by the wife of the viceroy of india and yeah probably hand-stitched
0: yeah the big colonial cheese
1: yeah yeah so the the viceroy of india was basically the person running india on behalf of the crown
0: welcome to colonialism corner
1: yep we're back um Yeah, the title was originally Governor General of India, if that makes it clearer what the relationship with India was. Um, So this, yeah, like I say, this dress with a fairly long train um, with Zardozi embroidery, which again is this kind of gold and silver uh, thread embroidery that's particular to Iran and India. Um, in the shape of peacock feathers, and then the eye of each feather was one of these Elytra.
0: Uh, I didn't know it had um the beetle bits on mm-hmm. the The dress I always think of, um or the item that I always think of, um with the beetle wings is the lady Macbeth dress. I don't think I know the Lady Macbeth dress. The one, um, there's, I think, I think it's actually in the V&A as well, (laughs) because of course it is, um, but it is the dress that a Victorian actress in the late Victorian era wore, wait, maybe not late Victorian, because it was, I think it was Ellen Terry, um, and I can't remember exactly when, but anyway, um, she played Lady Macbeth and she wore this dress that was embellished with like loads of green beetle links. It's this like medieval um, style thing. Oh, I think another one, yes. Oh, it might be the National Trust rather than um, the V&A. But it's. Is that one. It'll probably be familiar to a lot of people. Yeah, so
1: the the beetle wings on that are very much anachronistic, I will say. Yes. Although I'm sure I'm sure if early modern people had access to this species of beetle, they would have done exactly the same thing.
0: Well um, I think they were probably going for the drama rather than yeah. the historical accuracy it's very like um pre-raphaelite medieval Mm -hmm. but um yeah very striking but there's a famous Um, portrait of her in this as well i think so that's the one i always think of
1: so just the last thing i want to say is i quite enjoy how popular it became just because you start off with this very We'll, we'll just put some on the edge of this dress for a bit of drama and a bit of dazzle um, but the Hampshire Cultural Trust has in their collection a beetle wing tea cosy. Oh, Which I I will share an image of when um, when this episode goes out because I just I love it so much. Oh, yes, It's such an extra thing.
0: Oh, wow. I I wasn't expecting something quite this fancy.
1: Yeah, like it's got a full-on like starburst of these wings in the middle, and then it's bright, like, neon pink. <laughs> With gold which, thread all over it. it. It's surprising how well the neon pink, the iridescent green, and the gold go together,
0: quite honestly. Yeah, this is a very disco kind of item. It really is. Um, so yeah, that's shisha and beetle wing embroidery. Wow! Can you imagine like having the vic around for tea and then just whipping out this? <laughs> like the amount of one-upmanship points you would get is incredible. Yeah, I kind
1: of, I kind of want one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Absolutely no use for it, I and I would want be scared to use it. it. <laughs>
0: But I love it. Amazing. Thank you for that. <laughs> RPG ideas should be good, right? But what this podcast supposes is, maybe they don't have to be. The Probably Bad Podcast brings you ideas like dire humans fight your GM in real life. And what if there is an eye laser man? Listen to the Probably Bad Podcast, available everywhere podcasts exist, and some places where they don't.
1: So, what is our local
0: larder? I have enjoyed learning about some new ways to be shiny. Um, (laughs) So, um, local larder is, um, on day of recording, the lunar new year is tomorrow. February the 10th. Um, Which means, if you're
1: listening to this on the day it goes out, you've just missed it
0: oh no <laughs> there's probably still celebrations going on though no. yeah um but yeah so i know like the most well-known festival in the west is the chinese new year but the lunar new year is actually celebrated across a lot of east asian countries and um, which all have like their traditional food and celebrations and i wanted to um, talk about a kind of food which is traditionally eaten during the Korean Lunar New Year festival um, known as Seolal and the food is a rice cake soup Ooh. and it's called Tteokguk. and I did look up how to pronounce these so I am I'm doing my best i hope it is okay um so top cook is a broth soup including rice cakes and dried seaweeds and um usually beef brisket um, so when but,
1: when you say rice cakes yes is this the kind of chewy more sort of mochi texture kind or
0: yeah um it is i believe like a st- steamed rice cake mm-hmm. um, so you cut it into slices and cook it a little bit and then it goes into the soup
1: that does sound really nice actually
0: yeah it it sounds like one of the most comforting things apparently um, although it is very traditional for the first day of the lunar new year in Korea it's also now quite popular like throughout the year because apparently just great does it taste this yes <laughs> um
1: I, I love a food that could break out of its traditional time of year oh,
0: it's yeah. just it's too it's too tasty to be once a year i'm imagining this little soup like i want to break free <laughs> it's a little soup that could <laughs> it is um yeah it looks delicious um so the it's called tokguk because the tok is the rice cakes and the guk is the soup so it's rice cake soup um and yeah so um i've got a recipe here and it recommends um cooking the beef with garlic um and then roasting the dried seaweed paper for a bit, like crushing it. Um adding the rice cakes and some fish sauce and seasoning. Um so you've made this like beef broth essentially. Um now you're like adding the seasoning, some like green onion, uh the rice cakes and then garnishing it with the crushed seaweed and some sliced omelet
1: this is making me very hungry
0: yeah <laughs> it sounds like a fantastic warming soup um and it sounds like um it it's thought to have fairly ancient origins because it's just one of those things apparently that has always been eaten um it's it's just like really traditional um but it comes up as a mention in a 19th century book of customs um as also being made with beef or pheasant broth um and yeah so it looks like it can be varied depending on like what you can get um and seasoned with pepper and so the custom is to eat a bowl of this on the first day of the new year and um apparently and this is really lovely um there's a custom of asking a person's age by saying how many bowls of tokguk have you eaten i really like that because um the traditional um like age system in korea i believe is that like everyone turns a year older on new year's day like a horse yeah i guess (laughs) yeah all horses birthday is new year the first in the west isn't it is um january the first
1: (laughs) i really hope that wasn't offensive i just got excited (laughs) because i love that
0: horse fact it is a good fact um and yeah apparently um that is also how I worked in Korea, so thus you could ask somebody like how many bottles of soup have you eaten <laughs> to find out how old they are. I really um, like
1: because that, that also feels somehow feels less evasive than actually asking how old are you?
0: Yeah, I guess it's kind of a very polite <laughs> way of asking that.
1: So no, I'm not I'm not asking your age. I'm just curious how many times you've had this soup.
0: I'm just asking about the soup. <laughs> yeah so that that is part of the traditional korean lunar new year um, celebrations and if anyone wants to try making it um you apparently can get the rice cakes um in well the recipe um that i'm reading says korean grocery stores um i don't think we have that many of like specific Korean grocery stores in the UK, but you could probably get it in like an Asian supermarket, which are fairly numerous. So,
1: yeah, like I I know many Asian supermarkets that are just kind of pan East Asian.
0: Yeah, I think that's more like what we tend to have. Um. So, yeah, I might have to keep um, an eye out. I would like to give that a try it sounds like a great sort of winter dish as well so hopefully before it gets too much warmer Mm -hmm. um, I can give it a go and report back Uh, so yeah that is my short but sweet offering for local larder and happy lunar new year everybody who is celebrating that so if, if you want to give us
1: money to take to the Asian supermarket, you can go to patreon.com <laughs> slash bread and Thread, where you can get access to a Discord server and many recipes. Because there's there's quite a lot of recipes on there at this point, I think.
0: It's been going well, hasn't it? So there's a, a plethora. Um... You can also find us on Tumblr at Bread and Thread, where we post pictures of things we talk about on the podcast, um, teasers for upcoming episodes, and we blog random facts about food and history. And if you have an,
1: a topic suggestion, a local larder suggestion, or because we're doing something a little bit different for episode 100 and as- answering questions, um. So any of that, you can message us on Tumblr, or you can email breadandfeb.com at gmail.com. Or if you're in the Discord, you can just put it in there, because we'll see it. So thank you for listening.
0: Sorry? Tell us about your favourite
1: soup. Yes, definitely tell us about your favourite soup. Um, Or your favourite pancake, because it's
0: almost Pancake Day. Oh, yeah, that too. What is your favourite pancake? Um... Honestly, very classic. Lemon and sugar. just nice. can't beat it. What about yeah,
1: you? I, I like lemon and sugar if it's a thin pancake, like a crepe. But sometimes we'll do thicker ones with the sourdough starter. And then oh. to sort of counter that with more like a syrup is
0: really good. Uh, that's not pretty good. Yeah, to clarify, in the UK, when we say pancakes, we normally mean like thinner crepe style ones. Um, and, like the small, fluffy, thick ones, we usually say, call American pancakes. Um, but both are delicious. Yes. So, yeah, thank you
1: for listening, and we'll see you next time.